0: You know, my wife, Debbie, really only watches one channel on TV. And so it's such a good thing that we have like 100 plus channels available. Her favorite TV channel is HDTV, the Home and Garden Network or whatever it's called. And there's really only one show that she's really predominantly drawn to and it's called House Hunters. And House Hunters has all these um, emulations of it. There's House Hunters, there's House Hunters International, there's Mexico Life, there's Caribbean Life. She really loves Escape to the Country, which was sort of an English version of the same. And basically what it's about are people that are being followed down and, and helped to find a new place to live. And at first, I was deeply reluctant to enter into this journey, but with usual effectiveness, she wore me down over time, and now I watch it with her fairly frequently. Now, notice I said I watch it with her, because I don't actually believe I've ever watched it by myself. The premise in all of these shows is that the House Hunter client is shown three specifically chosen homes that are supposed to line up with their stated criteria of high-priority things that they want, and it's supposed to be within a stated uh, budget. And so they'll say, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this, and here are my top priorities. And I've seen quite a few of these shows now, and the one question that I've never heard them ask about, the one priority that's never been in their top four or five priorities is this one. Who are my neighbors? Never once. Who are my neighbors going to be? And I find that quite interesting because the neighbors you have have a huge impact on your quality of life. Let me go another step. Where you live doesn't necessarily have to have granite countertops or stainless steel appliances and an open plan or a double-heated garage. These are the common things that they almost always will ask for at least 90-95% of the time of the types of things they want in their dream home. Those things are all nice. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but you don't absolutely, I'm going to suggest, need those things to live in a dream home. Your dream home can be your dream home because of relationships. The relationships you build with the people in the apartment or the condo or the house that you live in and with your neighbors. And this idea of neighbors is all part of what I'll call an un-series series, five messages, because they don't seemingly fit together, and yet I think they actually do. And I'll kind of elaborate that more about that more later. But two weeks ago, we started the un-series series, and we talked about being filled with the Spirit. And we said, the scriptures are very clear. Jesus illustrated this for us that we're never intended to live a healthy Christian life in our own strength. When we do this, we just become frustrated and eventually we will bottom out and probably fail. Jesus was the this, this spirit-filled God-man and he said, in order to live a normal, healthy Christian life, you need to live a surrendered life daily and invite the spirit of God to fill you and empower you to live a holy life, to live a life of, of of serving him in a way that's effective. And this flows out of the empowerment of the Spirit. And so we said, all this stuff is predicated on living this kind of empowered life. Last week, as we launched the new church year and sort of the new year as people are heading back to school and everything, we talked about vision. And we said, What are we to be about? And we answered the question, why am I here? And we answered it on an individual level, and we answered it hopefully on a church-wide level as well. And so we we, uh, did that last week as well, and then now we're going to move into three weeks that I think flow quite conveniently out of those two things into this idea of neighboring. Neighboring really is predicated on living in the power of the Spirit and understanding why I'm Here they all interconnect, and Jesus spoke about this idea of neighboring in Matthew chapter twenty-two. And so, if you have your Bible or your device, I encourage you to turn with me to Matthew twenty-two. If you don't have a Bible or a device, there there's Bibles at the back you can borrow and use. And if you need to keep one, we're we're happy to give you one. Matthew chapter twenty-two. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament beginning in verse 36, very well-known verses of scripture. One of the experts in the law that was not a fan of Jesus at the time went and tried to trick him, went and tried to trap him and get in his face. And he asks this question of Jesus in verse 36, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in, the law. In other words, when you look over the whole Old Testament, the 39 books of the Old Testament, what's, what's the big idea here? And here's what Jesus replied with an incredible summarization of all that God says. He says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Paul picks up on this theme later in the book of Galatians in Galatians chapter 5 verse 14. He says, "For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself." And so we're going to talk about neighboring. And specifically kind of the subtitle is the idea of the other side of the fence. And today we're going to talk about, in light of that, who is my neighbor? And next week, which neighbor do I love? Because there's all these people out there. Which one do I love? And lastly, how do I talk to my neighbor about Jesus? But today, neighboring in the other side of the fence. What if, what if the grass actually was greener? on the other side of the fence. You know that old expression and they always say, you know, don't look that way, be satisfied, work hard where you are and don't just assume that if you go over there it's going to be better. I'm not talking about another opportunity or another job here. I'm talking about going outside the actual confines of the fence that's around your property or where you live and saying, I'm going to seek to build a relationship with my neighbor. And just maybe the grass is greener over there. And so when Jesus is challenged and asked to summarize the scriptures, and in particular he he does, and what he's doing really in those couple of verses is he's summarizing the Ten Commandments. When it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, this is a summarization of the first four of the Ten Commandments. And so Jesus is saying, love God with everything you've got. That first and foremost in your life is your relationship with him. He is the primary position in life, more important in life than any other person in your life or any other thing. And this is the position he asks to be in in our life. If we really want to have a relationship with God, he has to be first no matter what. Then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, when you think about this, and we don't often think about this, that means if you want to love your neighbor properly, you have to have a healthy love for yourself. An appreciation for who you are in Christ. The fact that you're a child of the king, the scripture says. That you are created in Genesis chapter 1. Created in the very image of God. And this gives you intrinsic value. And this is part of the Judeo-Christian ethic and heritage that we have in North America that we've largely moved away from, to be sad to say. But when you understand your incredible value because you are created in the image of Christ, it gives healthy self-worth. You can be a child of the king when you surrender your life to him because you're created in that image of God. That you are a person that Jesus loved so much that he considered you worthy to make the ultimate sacrifice for that when he went to the cross, when he actually left heaven and not left behind the fact that he was God, he was fully God, but in ways that it's way beyond, we can't really understand. He sort of curtailed his activity as God, even though he was fully God. He came and lived among us. He willingly went to the cross, even though he didn't deserve it. And he took the scripture, says all our sin on himself. And he died in your place, And he rose from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he considered you worthy of making that sacrifice. And then, as we talked about, um, you become his chosen child when you give your life to him. And he, as we talked about last week, he wants to then partner with you when we talked about why am I here uh, in loving our neighbor, in using our gifts in loving that neighbor as yourself. And this helps answer the question, why am I here? Because when you partner like that, it brings purpose in life. It gets the focus off yourself. It brings incredible joy in life when you serve like that. It gives us something bigger than ourselves to step into with something that has eternity stamped on it. Now, certainly this passage is talking about All the people out there. But we're going to talk more specifically about what that means next week and how that works next week. It is talking about people everywhere. It's talking about people we work with. It's talking about if you have children, you know, your kid's coach or whoever. But it also means our actual neighbor. The person that lives next door or a couple of doors down or across the street or in the cul-de-sac that you live in. I have so much to learn about doing this well. I'm not good at this stuff. I have so much to learn about it. So much to step into it. But can I give you a couple of practical examples of what this can look like? Just listen to sort of the approach in all of this. Our next door neighbor was people I'll call Fred and Sally. That's not their real name. Very nice people. Uh, In their, I'm guessing, later 80s, Uh, yet still just going forward in life and living with us, beside us there. And uh, over time, Debbie and I began to cultivate a relationship with them. And you know, we would do things like if there was a really heavy snowfall or they were away, we would go over and just shovel their driveway, even though they hadn't asked us to do it. And once in a while, I'd see Fred, he, he had this little uh, electric snowblower, and he would come and snowblow out our sidewalk or something like this. And i always going, oh, the dude's like 89 years old. But yeah, he came over there, and he did that. He was really a nice guy. And he and I would talk from time to time, and Debbie and, and Sally, I think that's what I called her, Sally would chat from time to time. And as i began, to talk with Fred a little bit, I discovered what he'd done in life. He'd been in the military. And he'd been in the Royal Canadian Air Force. And so um, I know enough about that stuff to talk semi-intelligently about it. And so I began to ask him questions and and share interest with him and appreciation with him for having served our country and and served in this way. I talked to him about my own family, my grandfather and my great uncle had both served in World War II, and we talked about that. And then one day he knocked at my door and he brought me a magazine. And he having been in the military for many years, he subscribed to this Canadian military magazine that comes out like every two or three months. And he asked me, would you like to read this? And I said, oh, I'd love to read that. And so I read it through very carefully. And then I went and talked to him about a number of the articles and questions in there. And we had this common discussion that we could walk around. And every time one of those magazines would come, he would bring it to me. And we would talk. And we developed a simple friendship together. Me and this guy that was, you know, I don't know, close to 90 years of age. And once in a while, I would be able to gently sprinkle in little things about Jesus with him. But this is important, what I'm about to say. This is key. I would have been Fred's friend whether I ever got to talk to him about Jesus or not. This is very important. They can't see you as seeing them as a project. People can sense very quickly if you're doing what you're doing for insincere reasons. And so I was privileged to be friends with Fred. And of course I wanted to talk to him about Jesus because Jesus is the most important thing in my life. But I would have been friends with Fred whether I ever got to do that or not. And it just started very simply by showing sincere interest in something that mattered to Fred. Somebody in our church was telling me about just over a year ago. In fact, I was golfing with this guy on Friday. This guy was telling me just over a year ago during the heart of the pandemic, He was saying, you know, as difficult as this pandemic stuff has been, there's been one really cool thing that's come out of it for me. And I said, oh, really, what's that? What was that? And he goes, well, at that time, everything was really shut down and nothing was open at all and church was closed and restaurants and everything just really closed down. And he says, because of that, because there was very few things to do, people in the neighborhood were outside a lot, And so they were out working in their yards, in particular in his neighborhood, and out going for walks. And so he would go out and he would hang outside all the time, and he was able to interact and speak with and spend time with all of his neighbors. And he said, it was so cool, because I got to know all my neighbors and go beyond just a very basic relationship with them. And it was so wonderful that the pandemic encouraged this kind of opportunity. And now I know them all, and we do things together. It's pretty cool. In the words of Jay Pathick and Dave Ranion in their book, The Art of Neighboring, they asked this question. They said, How do we move the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself? How do we move the great commandment from being a theory or just a nice little bumper sticker on the back of our vehicle into a real world context? Here was one of their suggestions. It's extremely simple, it's extremely practical, and it really works. They said this, try to picture in your mind the locations of the two or four or six or eight, however many you want to pick, neighbors that are right around you. And create a file about them, a written file. Not that you're going to stalk them, but create a file about them, and here's why. Because they matter. Because Jesus loves them just like he loves you. And they matter to God. And it will help you build a relationship on them. And in the file have two sections. Section A is very simple, but it's one that we often can't do. Start thinking about your neighbors around you and see if you can do section A. Section A is simply this. Write down their names. Their first name, their second name. And if you don't know their name, and we won't ask for a show of hands, but I had a feeling a number of us don't know the neighbors that are even really close to us, wouldn't know their names. That's a great place to start, to learn their names. And you know that, that just takes some humility if you've lived with them beside them for a while. I just did it out in the lobby with someone. I saw someone, I recognized their face, but I haven't seen them for quite a while. And I just said, you know what? I am so sorry, but I just can't remember your name. You know, and they told me, and I, that's an important thing to remember that person's name. Second section is a little bit more to it. It's basically this. Write down any relevant information you pick up in in conversations with them so that you can reference it later. It's kind of like when you go to see your doctor. Doctors have great memories, but do you think they really remember everything about you when they haven't seen you for a year? They have notes and they can ask informed questions because they've taken the time to write some notes. And so start writing things down as you listen and as you hear them. Oh yeah, they grew up in Saskatchewan, just like one third of Alberta. They work at Save On Foods. They worked there for a couple of years, but they have some different career plans. I could ask them some questions about those career plans. Write down what kinds of things interest this person. What is this person excited about? Because because if I really want to build a relationship with them and I have no level of knowledge about the things that interest them, maybe I should take some time and Google this issue and find out a little bit about that so I can ask informed questions of them about that which that's very important to them. See, when you love people and when people matter, those are the kinds of things you do. One of my professors when I was in school, he read a huge stack of journals. You know why? Because he wanted, to be, he wanted to be able to, and he could. He could sit down with basically any person on the planet that he shared a common language with, and he could discuss whatever that person did for a living in a very intelligent way. He read all about what it was like to be an astrophysicist, for example. He could ask an astrophysicist and have an informed conversation about their line of work. He could sit down with a barista at Starbucks and talk to them about how they make some of the complex drinks that they make and do they put any personal touches on that? And he knew how to talk to that barista. He could sit down with a plumber and ask them informed questions about what it took to be a plumber, to be an auto mechanic, to be a lawyer, you name it. He could do it with all these categories and it allowed him to begin relationships with a myriad of people. Write down, does this person like to travel or are they more of a homebody? If they do travel, do they like to go and lay on a beach or do they like to go on adventures? Things like this. Ask them uh, or write down if any spiritual things ever come up. You know how Pastor Brian often opens those kind of conversations? He does it like this. This is one of his tricks of the trade. When it comes close to Christmas time, he will begin to say to people that are probably outside the family of God, he'll say, you know, do you guys have any kinds of things that you do as a family or as an individual to celebrate Christmas? What are some of the cool things you like to do? And they'll say, well, we do this, we do this, we do this. And then typically he gets a chance to say, in our family, these are some of the things we do. And of course, a number of those things revolve around Jesus. And they often then have a conversation about what that means. Build that file. Build that file. You build the file because you care. And you want to love your neighbor as yourself. What do you think about when you think of the word love? Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, Jay and Dave, they said this. Listen to what they wrote. Theologians write about love, poets muse about it, singers sing about it. We want to be really clear, we are none of those, we are not deep thinkers, nor do we have any musical skills, we'd embarrass ourselves on a karaoke stage, and if we happen to rhyme, it's certainly not on purpose, but we do know this about love. To love someone, it helps to actually know their name. It helps to actually know their name. You know, when we don't invest in our neighbors, it's a lonely world out there right now, isn't it? And a lot of people, maybe yourself included, are feeling particularly isolated right now. And you know, maybe your life is kind of, boy, I know a lot of people like this, their life is basically boiled down to this. They leave the house And they go to work, or if they're working from home, they go from sort of the living room to their home office and they do their work and they grind their work out at their home office or at their office where wherever it is they work here in the city. And they grind out the work. Then they get in their vehicle, they drive home, and they hurry inside their place where they live, or they just leave their home office and they move back into the living room and turn on the TV. And it's very isolating. Caring about your neighbor and building a relationship with them can be good for them and good for you. Maybe we're afraid to talk to our neighbors. You know, whenever something is unknown, it can be scary. And when we don't know them, here's what I find. It's way easier to imagine the worst about them. And that often leads to misunderstandings. So Jesus in the Matthew passage keeps it really simple. And he says, listen, there's real freedom, there's peace, there's depth of relationship that comes into our lives when we're willing to go to the other side of the fence. Kind of a scary thing to do when we're willing to go to the other side of the fence. Let me just give you some practical suggestions about how to do this. Aaron Moore gave us this one, and Debbie actually did this this summer. It didn't work out for some reason, but she tried this. She said, just, just go and ask your neighbor if they would water your flowers for you for that weekend when you're away. And then you do the same for them. It's amazing the conversation you can have about how much to water the petunias or whatever. Help someone with a household project. When you see your neighbor get three yards of crushed gravel dumped on their front driveway, why don't you walk over and then say, you know what? I need some exercise. I'm overweight. Would you let me help you move this crushed rock? And you can just chat with your neighbor for that hour or so as you're moving that crushed rock. Go for a walk with the dog together. Um, Two doors down from us, uh, they were having a new baby, and I saw Debbie take a card and a gift over to that neighbor two doors down. The woman, once the kid was born, she sent Debbie pictures of the kid, and they've texted back and forth a number of times. Invite them to go golfing with you so they can make fun of people like me when I hit it in the rough all the time. Take a meal over to them if they're sick. Use your driveway to host a block party. Maybe you're not the main host of it, but use your driveway. Debbie and I have been to many block parties. Go together with your neighbors to have a garage sale. There's lots of ways to do this. And if you have some stories or some great ideas of things that you've tried or things that you've done, I'd love to hear them. Just shoot me an email. Love to hear about them. You know, we didn't think too much about it when they moved into us, beside us next door, because we'd had a number of neighbors over the years because somebody else owned the house next door to us. And so different rentals would come and go, different renters would come and go. And this new family moved in. They had little wee kids around the age of myself and my sister. But we noticed there was something different about these people, they were very friendly but not in a weird way, but they were very friendly. And they, they seemed to, and it was kind of hard to put into words, but they seemed to genuinely care about us. And the thing about this couple is they would actually come around to the other side of the hedge. See, we didn't have a fence between our houses, but we had this huge hedge. It was like eight or nine feet tall, which was really hard to trim. I hated trimming that hedge. But we lived at 1421 Parker Avenue. They lived at 1425 Parker Avenue. And they would walk around the hedge. And once in a while, Dave would come over. That was the guy that lived next door, the dad. And he'd come over and talk with my dad, Baz. That was my dad's nickname. And once in a while, Flora from next door would walk around the hedge. And Flora would talk with my mom, whose name was Marlene. Marlene. And Flora and Marlene would have coffee once in a while. And so a relationship was struck over, I can't remember how long it took. It took a while. And so when Flora said to my mom one summer, hey, um, we're having this little thing in our backyard for kids, and we're going to study the Bible together. It's something called Vacation Bible School. Would you be okay with your daughter, Heather, who was seven at the time, Would you be okay with Heather coming to this little study? I guess I must have been too old. I was the old man at 10 years of age. And because Flora had a relationship with my mom, and my mom trusted Flora, she said, Yeah, I think Heather would like to do that. And off, Heather marched next door to Vacation Bible School. And after not very long, my sister prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. I didn't even know about it for a while. But after a very short period after that, my mom was talking to Flora about what had happened with Heather. And Flora led my mom to Christ. And a couple, three months after that, my mom led me to Jesus. Because I didn't really get what was going on, but when she explained it to me, even though she was a brand new Christian herself, she just told me the story of what Jesus had done in her life. And how he'd forgiven her sin. Because we always thought, like we were very moral people. We always thought, well, you just have to be a good person to get good with God. But we found out from God's word, it's very clear that being a good person has nothing to do with it. Zero. And so I asked Jesus to forgive me for my sin and I received Christ as my savior. And about six months after that, my dad did. So in the course of one year... Dave and Flora McCarthy, who now live out and retired out in Abbotsford, out there somewhere, led or were instrumental in leading our family of four to Christ. And then about a year later, we were all baptized. And during that time, Dave and Flora walked with my parents and helped them grow up in the faith. God can change people's lives because we decide to love our neighbors as ourselves and say, you know what? I'm going to go to the other side of the fence.